If you have your Bibles, the Word of God is central and important here. Uh, let me just share with you, if you do not own a Bible, on the way out, you can have a free Bible. Um, I am so proud. Many of you have just started reading the Bible for the first time. I want to tell you I'm proud of you. Uh, the Bible is, is primary to all that we do here in the life of the church. We love to go through books of the Bible. And let me tell you why, because I believe going through books of the Bible keeps us accountable to teaching the entire counsel of who God is. It keeps us accountable not to just pick and choose what we want to talk about, but to give you the truth of God's word, the truth of what he said, and the truth of who he is. Jesus says, I am the truth, the way, and the life. Jesus says, the truth will set you free. And so we want you to be free, and that freedom is only found through the word of God. We're going to start to the book of Jude. Uh, let me share something with you very quickly about the book of Jude. The book of Jude is one chapter with 25 verses, 25 verses that was written to the church because during this time, let me explain a little context about the church. Anytime you open the word of God, it's important to understand the context of why it was written. Uh, Jude was written to Christians, Christians who were trying to redefine what truth was, uh, Christians that were allowing people to come in the church and redefine what truth was. If I were to ask you the question today, how do you define truth? Maybe across this room, that definition will look differently according to each person. Uh, today, we live in a culture where um, everyone defines their own truth. We believe that if we're not careful, we can sometimes believe that truth is subjective. You can have your truth. I can have my truth. We live in our own truths. Truths can even change if we want them to truth uh, change. And, and then that creates this chaos and conflict of leaving the question, what is truth? You jump on social media, um, you see pictures. Uh, I love that my wife posts a lot of pictures of me and the family. And when you see a picture of us, everything looks like it's awesome. Like we have it all together. And we're all smiling and we're holding the kids and the kids are smiling. But none of you know that 10 seconds before that picture was taken, we're like, hey, come here, sit right here. You better, you better come right here. You, I'll give you a piece of candy if you sit down. I'll buy you something. I'll get you Legos. I'll, whatever you want, just sit down for the picture. And they sit down like, cheese. And they like, get away from me now. Get out of here. And I, my, I, my wife does. I don't do that to my kids, but I've seen my wife do it before we take pictures. And, and then, like, not trying to out my wife, she's like, well, let's take another one. That one wasn't good. Listen, your eyes were closed. Your hair was blowing the wrong way. And I'm like, baby, so we just got all this stuff going on. But when you go on social media, you recognize it's just one big package of facade. It's not real life. And nothing really seems to be what it is. So when we, we all know this, we all know that when things are posted and so truth, we question, what is truth? Is that true? Are they really that happy? What's truth? And truth is defined um, so much differently. And what puts pressure on us to redefine truth is outside pressure and outside culture. Uh, for college students, you have this pressure of questioning what is truth. How do you live that out? How do you live that in a what seems to be postmodern Christian world? Uh, when some of you go into your workplaces, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, but you question, how do I live out my truth when my truth will be offensive to somebody else's truth? And we go on and on and on. What is truth? And if we are not careful, we will allow as Christians 
um, for the outside culture and pressure to either silence our truth, water down our truth, or redefine our truth. Between the 12th and 14th century, um, some of you may know uh, this, the, the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris was built. It's beautiful architecture. It was the first time that Gothic architecture was introduced. This Gothic architecture was, was meant to display the transcendence and glory of God. And so they built this thing in such a way that when you walk into that place, it was meant to make you feel small. They built it in such a way that they wanted you to walk in. They wanted you to be like, God, you are so big and I am so little. You are amazing. I am not. You are an amazing God. When this was built between the 12th and 14th century, um, it has been targeted for centuries. And let me tell you why it was targeted. Because when the Notre Dame Cathedral was built, it was built as part of the identity of the European culture. The Christian values, the Christian um, way of living, Jesus Christ, the Bible was part of the cultural identity. Things began to shift. The cathedral had a lot of pressure on it, so much so that many times people would come in and replace the statues with secular statues because they were trying to silence what the cathedral stood for. And so there was one instance in the Revolution uh, War, in 1793, revolutionaries came in, took away the statue of Mary, and replaced it with the goddess of reason. And here was why. They just felt like you cannot control culture anymore. You cannot use your Christian values to tell us how to live. This has too much power in our identity, so let's redefine some things. So they go to the church, replace it with the goddess of reason. Live your own way. Whatever you feel like is good to you, live that way. Whatever feels good, YOLO, do it. Can't we all just get along? And that's kind of the way they lived. Shortly after, 1794, after the statue was replaced and people took God out of the equation of society, the society ended up in chaos, and in fact, during this time frame, the culture was known as the culture of terror. They called it the culture of terror because when they removed Christian values and dethroned or attempted to dethrone Christianity and God, what happened next was a chaos of murder and mayhem. And some scholars and some experts will say, this is what happens when you take God out of the equation. When you take God out of the equation of your relationships, of your marriage, of your career, of everything that you do and who you are, what's soon to follow is chaos and mayhem. God out of the equation leads to destruction. Any of you ever tried dating without God in the equation? A lot of broken hearts. That's why y'all silent right now. You didn't have to go there, Pastor. See, what happened was, <laughs> ever try to pick a job without God leading you? Ever try to pick a spouse? I mean, take God out of the equation, out of your relationships. It, it is brokenness and chaos. And this is what happened in this society. This continued to happen century after century. In 2019, um, the cathedral ended up burning down. You saw it all over the news. It was absolutely everywhere, social media, on the news. It was burning down, and this was a big hit to their culture. 
Because this represented Christianity. This is what they stood for. And to see that burn to the ground began to discourage many people. You'll see before and after pictures. It was just destruction. You see the crumbling of this. And and as you're looking at this take place, it's interesting enough, one scholar said this about the burning of the cathedral, which many try to do away with for many, many years, or silence the voice and power of Christianity. One scholar said this, more than mere bricks and mortar. Notre Dame's story captures the sorrow of secularism and its corrosive determination to exterminate the influence of the Christian worldview. I want you to sit and think about that for a minute. And he says the burning down of the cathedral is a great picture of what's happening to the culture when God is taken out of the equation. Now, this is in in Europe. We see this in Scripture today to the book of Jude because this is what's going on in the book of Jude. In the book of Jude, he's writing because Christians are allowing people to take God out of the equation. So Jude writes to them and says, hey, you cannot take truth out of the equation. You cannot redefine truth. It's not going to go well for you. And this has happened all throughout life. And in fact, if you, if you look at just on the screen, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 25, Paul is writing to a culture that is trying to remove Christ, that's trying to remove God from its equation. And let me share with you the results that happened from the Bible. Here's what he says. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So let me pause here for just a minute. Uh, Paul is making the case that everybody is without excuse of whether or not there is a God. Everybody is without excuse. And so uh, let me share this with you. Several weeks ago, I went up to the mountains uh, and took Jeep tour. Went up to the mountains. We were at 13,000 feet elevation. I came out of the top of the mountain and I looked at just creation. And all I can think about is, man, our God is big. Life is not where I want it to be. I don't enjoy everything happening to me. I don't even enjoy life right now, but you are big. There has to be a creator behind this creation. And so I sat there and marveled at the work of God's hands, looking at these mountains, thinking, you are amazing. What he is saying is this in the scripture in verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. When you look at creation, you work and recognize God is big. Man, he's powerful. He can do whatever he wants. He needs no, one, no one's opinion. He does whatever he wants. And it says, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Let me be transparent for you in verse 21 for just a minute. There have been times in my life before I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ where I knew that I'd go to church and I tried this Christian thing out and I felt like God was drawing me to him, but I didn't like that God was asking me to submit to him. I feel you drawing me to you, but I don't want to submit to you because submitting to you means I gotta change the way I'm living. Submitting to you means I'm now held accountable. 
And I don't want to be held accountable. I want to define my own truth, God. And so what I did is I, I gave God the Heisman over and over and over. Anytime I heard something where I felt like he was pricking my heart, boom, I don't want to change that. No, thank you. Nope, that wasn't God. That was Taco Bell last night. <laughs> nope, that wasn't. And I'm just stiff-arming God everywhere because I don't want to change. I mean, I, was, it was, I didn't want to submit. I didn't. I, I'm just being transparent with you. We have a natural instinct to push back, push back against the things of God. It is innately in us. For example, when I preach on forgiving, no one's like, yeah, let's forgive. This will be fun. No, we're like, man, you tripping. I ain't forgiving you. You don't know my story. We, some things are hard to do biblically. And so, and so th- there is this, this truth that although you know God, doesn't mean that we submit to the things of God. And we may treat God as a buffet. I like some of this, God. I don't like this. And we wonder why our world seems to be so broken because we take God out of the equation. And so here's what he says. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Here's what's happening during this context. People began to worship these idols. They began to worship things, these false gods, and they let go of God, and they chased their pleasures and desires because they wanted those things to be fulfilled. If you translate that to our context today, it's really this. I know you're real, God, but I really need this job. I know you're real, but I really need this achievement. It's letting go of God's hand and holding on to something else that you think gives you value. How do you know what's an idol in your life? How do you know what you're replacing God with? Here's how you know. When it's removed, you know by how you respond. You know what the idols are in your life because when it's removed, you'll know by how you respond. And God gracefully removes them from us because we've made them an idol. And he removes them. So these people began to worship the, the things created versus the creator, which is no different than today that we're seeing in our culture. So here's what happened, which is very, very scary that God does that we don't talk about much. You stiff arm God enough, he'll say, okay, I tried. I'm here when you want to come back. But here's what's going to happen. You're going to go do your own thing and you're going to be broken and I'm going to be right here when you're ready to come back. And so he allowed them to stiff arm him. And here's what it says. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. That God said, you want to, you want to live this sexually immoral life? Go ahead. I'm trying to tell you it's not going to end well. But go ahead. You want to pursue achievement more than me? Go ahead. You want success? Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead and fulfill these lustful pleasures. Go ahead, but it's not going to end well. If you have kids, you'll understand this story. We took our family to family camp. We go to every year. It's really for our family, this place of refuge. We just, we go and we just have fun and we just get loved on. It's biblically centered. It's in South Carolina, so it's far. We take a road trip there. It's, it's absolutely fun. We get there on the first day. And some of you know, I've been transparent with you, uh, we have a four-year-old that we're a little struggling with sometimes, and um, sweet, beautiful kid, just stubborn, 
He likes to do things his own way. It's like he has to, so any of you have those kids that he just got to learn the hard way no matter what you say? He's one of those kids. It's like, I'm like, hey, son, don't eat the hot Cheetos because they're spicy. And he'll fight, he'll kick and scream. We'll find him in the closet eating hot Cheetos. I'm like, I told you not to do that. He's like, it's spicy, give me water. I'm like, I told you. He's one of those kids. So we get to camp and the kids bring their own scooters and he brings a scooter and the camp has a lot of hills in the camp and he's four and um, we bust out the scooter and, and he, I don't know what he's thinking, but he's like, hey, I'm going to go down the hill and we pull him aside. And, and here's the, the pressure thing is that when you're a pastor, everybody watches how you parent your kids. <laughs> you know, you have like, what do they look like? What are they dressed like? What do they sound like? How do they talk? How do they talk back? Well, do they talk back? And, and you know, so, so here's what happens. I pull him aside and when he gets around other people, he recognizes that my parenting gets a little softer. <laughs> and he's four and he recognizes it. And so he busts out the scooter ready to go. And I was like, we're talking to parents. I say, hey, Fallon, hold on. Dad's going to walk with you. You can't go down the hill. And he, I'm not even kidding with you. He does. It's like, I want to go down the hill. And I'm like, <laughs> at this point, I'm trying to figure out. And for those of you who have who have kids, in the moment, you know, like, okay, I better watch out how I respond. I don't want to get CPS called on me and nothing like that. I just, so I'm like, hey, he never acts like that. I don't know, it must be the time difference. It must be time difference, three-hour time difference does things to us, you know. He never, you have your quiet time this morning, buddy? I don't know what's going on today. And, and then I said, buddy, you, you wait for dad. Daddy's almost done talking. No, I'm not going to wait. And he normally doesn't talk like that. And then there's a point where, you know, as a parent, you like, you ain't going to disrespect me in front of my friends. I'm going to let my friends know that as a parent, I'm in charge. So here's what I do. And you've done this too. Um, lean over. I'm like, I guess, boy, if you don't stop acting like this. A little bit of fear in him. And he knew I wasn't going to do anything. That dude knew I wasn't going to do a thing. And then he took off down the hill. He's like, later, hater. And just. And he's four. And I'm not even kidding. He's like going 10 miles an hour. He wobbles. And then he catches his balance, wobbles again, and starts flipping. And I don't know if we have a picture of him or not. You see why it's hard to get onto him? The boy's fine. Like. Look how cute he is. He's four and he's just, so he got a concussion. And here's what happened. He was on the floor, bloodied up, crying. And I felt, as a parent, if you're not a parent yet, no matter how you parent, your children will make their own decisions. And you want them to make the best decisions, but God has given them free will. And sometimes he wires them like their mother and they're stubborn. <laughs> and what happens is, what happens is you're caught between, I told you not to do this. And then, so I ran down and he's bloody and he, you can tell something's off. And I pick him up and he's like, ah, he's crying. I was like, buddy, you got to listen to dad. I know what I'm talking about. I'm trying to protect you. You're stubborn. You want to do your own thing and learn the hard way. So I'm frustrated, yet I'm hugging and I'm kissing him. And he's like, that was a natural consequence. Like, yeah. 
was a natural consequence and it's gonna cost me money. <laughs> but in that moment, I, I'm not gonna lie, I was frustrated. And I told you don't do this. Then I was compassionate. This is why I don't wanna see you hurt. In Romans chapter, chapter one, God is saying, don't do this. Man, don't do it. I know you want to do it. It's not that you don't want to. I know you want to do it. But if it doesn't align with my will and my character and my word, don't do it. Don't go outside of my will, my character, my word, because what you're going to find is brokenness and destruction. But let me just reassure you, I will pick you up when you're broken. I don't want to have to, but I'm here for you. He's trying to help us to avoid these warning signs. This is why he's given us his truth. So that when we submit to the truth, it allows us to follow the Father. It allows us to follow him down paths. Down paths that we know that even if it's hard, he has led us there. And this is why he gives us his word to live by. And so what was going on during this time is these people were like, yes, we have the word. We've heard it. But we are going to do whatever we want to do. We are going to define truth how we want to define truth. And when you try to redefine what is true, it always ends up in destruction. When my little boy tried to redefine that it, what is true is if you go down that path of this, you will fall down. You're going to hurt yourself. That is true. But he says, let me redefine this. Let me see if that's really true. And he found out it's true. And so when God has given us his truth, when we try to figure it out and redefine it to, to match to whatever we want and to please us, it always ends up in brokenness when you take God out of the equation. So how do we define truth? Here, here's what truth is. Here is truth. Truth is that which is consistent. This is key. It is consistent with the word of God. John 1.1. 1, 1. The word of God, the character of God, and the son of God. Jesus says, I am the truth, the way, and the life. What is truth? It is the things of God. Let me tell you something about truth. The word of God, the character of God, and the son of God. These things have never changed. When culture defines truth, if you look back all throughout history, the truth in culture always does this. It's always changing. It's on a sliding scale. We define it differently every week. The only thing that's been constant is the word of God that's never changed. You can always count on it. It's always going to change lives. It's always going to heal people. And it's always going to set you free and point you to the truth that has never changed. Sin has never set us free. Sin has never set you free. It has captured you in bondage. But the word of God has always set us free. The son of God has set us free. So as we dive into the book of Jude here, we're going to deal with these verses, verse 1 through 4. I'm going to break this apart. I'm going to do more teaching than I am preaching because I want you to see today. It's so key that we see how this is impacting our lives today as a church. So we're going to take a look. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Let me pause right here very quickly. This word servant means doulos in the Greek. Um, Jude is saying that he is a servant, he is a doulos. This word doulos means that he is a slave to Christ and to the things of God. It means Jesus is my master. I am submitted to him, to his will. I, I will do whatever you want me to do, Jesus Christ. Everything that Jude does comes out of his 
comes out of who he is. Everything he does comes out of who he is. His activity is birthed out of his identity. His activity is birthed out of his identity. So he very early on lets them know I am a servant because what I'm about to tell you, this right here gives me the authority to tell you what I'm about to tell you. A servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, he is writing to Christians. So he's saying, Christians, you're not going to like what I'm about to say, but it's important that you hear it because truth will set you free. You will naturally push back against the truth, but you have to hear it. You may stop reading it midway between the, the scriptures, but you have to hear it. God in his kindness has given us truth to set us free. The natural reaction is to reject truth. You don't believe me? Go home today after church and sit down with your loved one or your spouse and tell them what you think they're doing wrong. It's amazing when even if I sit down and ask my wife, hey, look, I know I have things to work on. You mind speaking into me? Where do I need to get better? And she'll say, okay, since you asked automatically, she's like, well, you need more, you need to get off your, you're on your phone a lot. I'm like, I am a phone a lot. That's because I'm working to support the family. What do you want me to do? You know, he's like, you, you start pushing back towards what is true. We naturally push back towards what is true. It's the same for scripture. So he's speaking to those that are called Christians. Get ready. You're not going to like this. But God's mercy and kindness is giving it to you. So he opens up in a really sweet way to those who are called, beloved, and God the Father, and kept for Jesus. These are all three great things. You're called by God. You are a child of God. Beloved, you are loved by God. Can you imagine if you're listening to this even today? This always blows my mind that God knows every thing about you yet still loves you and wants you so in this room today if you came in here feeling disgusted with any choice that you made in life I've been there you have been there let me encourage you as he does from the text if you're a believer in Jesus Christ he calls you beloved you are loved in God the father and you are kept which means this word kept is important which means that you as a follower in Jesus Christ cannot lose your salvation. No matter what sin you struggle with, no matter how bad you have fallen, no matter what happens, what addiction you have, you as a follower of Jesus Christ cannot out the cross. It, he has you covered. He loves you. He will keep you. He will not let you go. When you try to run, he is there. He will keep you. This is great because we're used to people rejecting us when we don't perform the way they want us to perform. But he's saying, let me tell you something, follower of Jesus Christ, not dependent on how you're performing, but simply depend on who Christ is. He will keep you. And then he says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Very sweet, very kind. Then he gets into this. Beloved. He changes his tone. How do I know that? Well, I don't. I just did it myself because it sounds better. <laughs> Beloved, I've got something to say to you. Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And this word contend, it has this connotation of battle. He says to fight to fight for truth, to fight for what is right. 
During this time, you would have Christians be impacted by the outside world and they would come into the church. They would begin to change the church values and redefine truth. And everybody was kind of just watching it and nobody would stand up for what was true. And so he uses this word contend. You have to fight. You have to battle. You have to be ready to fight for the faith. The faith, when you see this word in scripture, it just means our biblical beliefs, our biblical values. Then he says that was once delivered for all the saints. So now let, me, let me make something very clear here. And Jude is saying this, you have to fight for this. If this sets people free, if this is salvation, if this is healing, if this is freedom, if this is treasured, fight for it. Don't stand passive. Fight for this because it's worth fighting for. Fight for the truth. This book right here, nothing should be added to it. Nothing should be taken from it. What's in here is the inspired word by God. Nothing added, not the Book of Mormon, not the Quran. This right here is the one true inspired word of God. So when he is saying fight for it, do you understand the power behind this word? Fight for the purity of the word. Fight for it. And Christians, stop being passive. Fight for it. Don't watch culture redefine the truth. Fight for it. And so he's telling them, fight. And let me just share something with you, church. When you fight for the truth, people will criticize how you fight for the truth. When you fight for the truth, there's no lonelier place to be sometimes than fighting and standing on the word of God. I've said this over and over and over, but you will find that it's unbelievably lonely today to be a Christ follower amongst Christians. Because in our culture today, you have many Christians have, who have allowed the culture to put pressure on them and redefine truth. You have a lot of Christians who are like, I ain't, I'd rather... Too many Christians today are more concerned with having followers and friends than they are keeping the faith. And the enemy has done a great job of playing into our weakness and, and not wanting us to lose friends because we love Christ. And, and let me just tell you that God has given us this command and this call. And I'm not saying to be a jerk for Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying there is a way to stand on truth. And so he's saying the truth that was delivered for all the saints, for certain people, and here's what he begins to, to let us know what's going on in the church. Certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. And he calls them ungodly people. They crept in. So they come into the church and they're hard to really, to, to really um, discern who they are because some of them are Bible study teachers. Some of them are tithers. Some of them look and smell like Christians, but they don't act like Christ. And so he says, who long ago were designated for this condemnation? Ungodly people, watch this, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. Let me tell you what's taking place today, um, and we, we know this is true, but let me, in Jude, this is like, oh, this is happening back then? Well, there's no surprise, it's happening today too. The word of God is the living word of God. He says, those people pervert the grace of our God. Let me tell you what has happened with grace of God. People have come in, even today in our culture, they'll just say, hey, why, why fight about our differences? Why stand on truth? God is love. Let's just love one another. What does it matter what you believe? Believe what you want. It's not hurting me. You believe whatever you want. And as long as your belief system doesn't impact my belief system, then we're good. 
And he's saying people came in and they perverted the grace of God. Here's what this means, that they began telling people, you know what, God loves you so much, you go sin, it's going to be okay. And, and they, they begin to tell people, you sin because God loves you and it won't impact your life and it won't affect you. You're good, you're covered. Let me just tell you, God's grace is real and it's good and it will cover you, but so are natural consequences of our sin. That's very real as well. And so here's what's happened in this context and even today. If we are not careful today, we will take God's grace and turn it into cheap grace. And we will use it as a license to sin. Let me share with you today, grace is not a trampoline to jump off of so we have the license to sin. Grace is a net to catch us when we fall. That's grace. So that when you're pursuing God and in your humanity, you fall and you realize, I didn't want to do that, but I did that. Thank God that he catches us because he knows we are in pursuit of his heart, but he also knows we are sinful beings. What was happening here, people were like, man, there's grace. Let's go sin. Let's go live the way we want. It's not going to matter. And then Christians started saying, really? That sounds awesome. Who doesn't want to do that? Who doesn't want to live a life with no accountability? So that began to happen over and over and over. And he says they perverted the grace of our God into sensuality. They're turning it to uh, sexual morality. They're just indulging in their pleasures. And then by this, by the way they live, they deny our master and Lord and Savior. By the way people live shows that they deny who he is. By the way people live show that they deny who he is. And here's what happens. Today, you may be asking the question, how does this happen in the church? How does this happen? How, how, does, how, does, how does this, this happen? Do you, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. How do they come into the church and infiltrate the church? How, does this, how do they pervert God's grace? How does this happen? Let me share with you what you're not going to be shocked by. Um, how, when you look at biblical history, when you look at the Bible, when you look at modern day uh, cultural trends, here's what takes place. If you're taking notes, this is going to be so key because I want you to see how the enemy begins to redefine what truth is. Here's what happens. I'm going to use the same word that Jude uses that he says they crept in unnoticed. Here's what happens when truth is redefined, when the word of God is redefined. If you look at our culture today, everything God has designed in his word is attempting to be distorted. That's a hard truth. That, that, that people want to take what God designed from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation, and they want to redefine what God has designed as good, pure, and holy. And so here's how that happens. Here's how this redefining of what God has designed takes place. Number one, it creeps into mainstream media and begins to redefine truth. Here's what I mean by this. In mainstream media, you will begin to see subtle little things that begins to attack Christian values and God's design. It won't be overt at first. It will be just very calm, very subtle, just begins to plant seeds here and there. And if parents, if you're not watching what your children are watching, it's happening through kid shows you will see that it is being planted in kids' shows to redefine who God is. 
trying to redefine who God is. No different than the cathedral in Notre Dame, how they were tired of this being their identity, so they wanted to redefine. They're removing statues and removing idols. It's happening today, and it's going through mainstream media, and there's little subtle things there. I'm so proud of my oldest son. I, we go through the scripture, and we unpack, like, this is God's design for this. This is what culture is saying right, th- like, right now. But we love everybody, but we don't stay, stray away from the truth, son. But I want you to recognize you're going to hear about it, you're going to see it you're going to feel it you have to learn how to live amongst it and live like Jesus so there's sometimes we're watching a commercial or show or a movie and they'll say something that's opposite of God's design he'll be like dad I'm like boy you go go boy that's my dog but if I can raise my son to have the filter through the biblical lens then I believe I will create a warrior for Jesus Christ with all my children who know how to love and stand firm on the word of God and be unapologetic about it because that is truth. That is truth. So you'll see subtle little things happen. We begin to plant seeds, kind of try to redefine in that, our child's minds, redefine what truth is. And let me just tell you something, that truth will always survive. When the dust settles, truth will survive. Truth will it, it, just survive. It always has survived that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. Even that in the churches today is being disputed. A large percentage of Christians today have uh, taken a poll that said Jesus is not the only way. Jesus is the only way to the Father. There's one way, and his name is Jesus. And you, you're seeing this happening in the, in the church today. And here's what happens next. Once um, it is subtle, uh, this truth redefined becomes normalized. Um, you know, many of us have, have seen things and, and, and have heard things where, like, your mind is blown at first. You ever been there? Where your mind is blown, you're like, what? How? How is that okay? What is going on? What is happening? And then six months later, we deal with it so much, you're like, it's just normal. You, you lost the, the wow factor, right? You've lost the wow factor towards what's anti-Christ and what's anti-biblical, and so then you begin to see this, this thing normalized and becomes so normal that now the Bible is no longer truth. Now the Bible has problems because we don't agree with the Bible. And now it becomes normalized and there's this cultural pressure to conform, to redefine truth. So now you're pressured from every area to redefine what God has said because if you don't refine, redefine what God has said, you're now a bigot to what God has said if you agree with it. So now once the cultural pressure conforms to tries to conform to redefine the truth, the next thing that happens is those who fail to conform to redefine truth are shamed for not conforming. And let me tell you what's happened in the church, in the book of Jude, by the way, it's happening here and it's happening everywhere. And and here's how this happens. It happens through uh, passive Christianity. And again, I am not saying to go pick fights. I am not saying to, to be a jerk for Jesus. I'm not saying don't be any of that. But I'm also saying, don't be afraid to stand on what's true. You can't be afraid to stand on what's, what's, what's true. If This is my wife right here, my only one wife, whom I love so much, who I've been married to for 12 years. If, if anybody, I'm going to go back this way. If anybody, <laughs> I feel like that was like, you did that somehow. Like, back up off me, homie. 
But it's like, no matter what, that's my ride or die. I, that is my wife. You can come in and tell me it's not. You can come in and tell me she doesn't love you. You can say whatever you want. At the end of the day, that is my wife, whether anybody likes it or not. She is my wife. I am not afraid to say she is my wife, especially because she's way better looking than me. She is my wife. Same for biblical truth. You can, people can say it's not true. People can try to poke holes in it. People can try to say this is not the word of God. This is old school. This is at the end of the day, this is truth. And it happens to infiltrate the church through passive Christianity. It happens through silent Christianity. I cannot tell you how many times you guys know me. I'm a grace-filled man. Um, you guys know my story, drugs, drinking, alcohol, gangs, all kinds of stuff, and I've met the grace of Jesus Christ. I also know that it took me submitting to his word in order for me to truly be set free. And so the thing I cannot and will not do is to perverse or water down the gospel of Jesus Christ because no watered down version will set anybody free. It's going to be the truth and truth alone that really sets us free. And so out of, out of conviction and compassion and love and God's grace, kindness and mercy, he wants to set us free through the kindness of his word, telling us right from wrong, telling us don't go down the hill. So out of his kindness, he gives us his word. But when we keep silent about what his word says, it's hard to see transform lives, which also happens to complacent Christianity. So when you see Jude write this today, you think this is new. This is not what we walk through today in our culture is not new. This is not new. There's these cultural trends that over and over in here, they were dealing with some crazy, crazy stuff. Let me share something with you. This picture that you see and the cathedral burning down, I've always had utter respect for first responders. The selflessness it takes to run into things and risk their own lives in a selfless way is, is why I, before I became a pastor, I wanted to be a firefighter. I just, man, there's something honorable about first responders. And I looked at this picture, and here's what I saw. I saw this cathedral burning down, as you see. And you see this cathedral burning down, and as that scholar said, it's a picture of, of just this, this influence of Christianity and culture. But what I love about this is that these first responders just didn't stand by and watch it burn. Each one of them had a role to play, a role to play to put out the fire. Let me just share with you today. We can stand by and watch it burn down. Or we can have a role to play. And as Jude says, contend for the faith. What does that mean, pastor? Do I go pick fights? No. But it means you contend for the faith when God calls you to contend for the faith. So we can pick up a water hose and play a role. Or you can choose not to. But you know what's incredible is that even when we choose not to, Jesus Christ and the cross of Christ will still remain. Even when everything is burned down and it's all said and done, the only truth and the way and the life will still remain, and that is Jesus Christ. So church, I encourage each of you in your own way, however God has called you, to contend for the faith, to stand for your faith. And there's a way, let me just tell you, 
We're so torn sometimes, and the band is coming up, and we're going to be done. We're so torn sometimes, right? I'm a pastor, and that usually means that Clancy and I get left out of a lot of invitations because I'm a pastor. It means that if my family doesn't think that I'm going to agree with them about something, they won't invite us. It means that some of you don't invite us. And this happens over and over and over. And we're torn as Christians between grace and truth. And how do you balance that out, right? How do you live truth with grace and not be a jerk? Because Christians are known for being mean. So how do we balance that out? Let me just tell you, there is a, a balance and it takes hard work. But let me just tell you, if you have grace without truth, that is not true grace. True grace is birth out of truth. You can't have grace without truth because that is not grace. You can call it something else, but it's not grace. My my urging plea to you as a church is to study the word of God, know the word of God, and live the word of God. Us living out what we believe will put out a lot of fires. Us staying silent about who we are and what we believe will only fuel the flames. Not telling you to go jump on social media and start a fight. Because if you said, my pastor said, you better put somebody else's church's name on it. Don't put my name on it. <laughs> Listen, I don't know where God is calling you personally. Maybe there's some things in your life. And you know, you personally, you have one foot in the world and one foot in church. And you can't figure out why you don't have peace. The truth will set free. The truth will set you free. The truth will set you free.